and open to Matthew chapter 5, and then stick your finger in Matthew chapter 5, and flip back to 2 Peter chapter 1. So Matthew chapter 5, finger in there, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to bounce around quite a bit today, but we'll start in those two places. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. I would love for you to follow along as we walk through. We're going to see a variety of different things that are built into the Word as we study the Scriptures, and I think it's really important for you to be able to see that. And if you don't have a copy of the Word of God of your own, I would love for you to take that one home with you. Uh, We really want everybody to have a copy of the Bible, and if the only one you have is on your phone or whatever, uh, we would be glad for you to have a hard copy to take with you. And so consider that our gift to you. We're glad to replace that this week. Uh, If you just didn't bring one with you, you're welcome to borrow it for today, and then just put it back, and somebody else can borrow it next week. So um, as we jump into this series, this is going to be a six-week practice series on the scriptures. Let me try to unpack that a little bit. Um, When we say practice series, what we're talking about is that while we hope that we all learn through the process, the goal is not uh, intellectual knowledge. The goal is practice. One of the things that is uh, vitally important for us to get and that we, uh, we come back to quite a bit around here is that Jesus didn't simply call us to believe in him. He called us to follow him. And that process of following requires practice, that we would step into the lifestyle of Jesus, uh, because the life of Jesus doesn't just magically emerge out of our life. Uh, We we need to engage the lifestyle of Jesus uh, that gives us the ability to start to live into the life of Jesus. And so the way we do that is three or four times a year, we pause our regular preaching series and we step into a practice series. And so that's what this is. Uh, As you came in, there were practice guides out in the middle of the lobby. It was a big gray thing as you walked in that a few of you probably tripped over and then ignored and walked past. So um, instead of that, grab one of these that's in there. Uh, If you'd rather have an electronic copy, we also have them online. You can download a PDF online. So either way, whatever's uh, best for you. But we're going to be going through this. This is going to pair with our series uh, as we journey here over the next several weeks. And so I'd love for you to, to have one of those and follow along with that. Um, A a couple things at the outset. First of all, a six-week series on what is, uh, if not the, one of the preeminent spiritual disciplines of Jesus is not enough. So I just want to say at the front end, there's going to be a ton over the course of six weeks that we're not going to cover. There's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that you're just thinking like, but what about and how do I trust and what, what about this thing or whatever. Uh, that's great. I'm very, very open to all of those questions. We just only have so much time. And so let me encourage you. We're going to do something a little different during this series. As you have questions, email them to questions at yorkalliance.org, questions, plural, at yorkalliance.org. That should be pretty easy to remember. And then what we'll do, many of you know, we have a podcast that happens Monday through Thursday every week, just kind of a a daily meditation, often on the uh, passages that we've been in on the weekend and things that have been uh, kind of on our hearts as we we journey together. And what we'll do is we'll take those questions and we'll do a variety of Q&A through that daily podcast over the next uh, couple months. And so if you would send those questions in, We'll be able to uh, speak into the specific things that are on your mind as you're asking questions. Uh, like I said, things that we're just not going to be able to get to. That we're only going to be able to get to so much. Uh, you'll be able to look uh, in the practice guide. It'll give you kind of a layout of where we're headed. And so if you don't see on there the questions that you have, ask them. And we would love to be able to, uh, to do that. The other thing I want to let you know about is that the practice guides are intended to be twofold. There are individual practices that you would as an individual step into but they're intended to be lived out in community. 
that you would have a community of people around you that you are practicing with. And so each week, there are communal practices and individual practices. And so if right now, for whatever reason, you don't have a specific community that you can live that out with, now's a great time to step into that. We have several community groups that are launching, uh, that either launched a couple weeks ago or are launching within the next couple weeks. And so we have space for you to jump into a a group if you want to jump into a group or just pull some people around you who can be part of that community for this next six weeks that can be journeying with you. It's vitally important that we don't just do this individually. There's all kinds of science behind the way that we connect to one another and how that connection forms our character and our behavior. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not connected in that way, this is a great time to step into that, to, uh, to, to step into a community group or some kind of intentional community to walk through this practice together. My goal today is to lay the groundwork for where we're going to be going. So over the course of the next six weeks, as we dig into the series, I want to kind of lay the groundwork for where we're headed. And so to do that, I'm going to ask you to listen. Uh, Hannah is somewhere here. There she is. Uh, Hannah is going to come and read for us uh, Peter's thoughts on the scriptures out of 2 Peter chapter 1, the end of 2 Peter chapter 1, and then Jesus himself from uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. So listen to the word as Hannah reads. Good morning. Christ's glory in the prophetic word in 2 Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And continuing on in Matthew, Christ came to fulfill the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Thanks, Hannah. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we engage your word today in these passages and in other passages, we don't want to just go through a mental exercise. We don't just want to gain more knowledge, but we want to submit ourselves to you. And so, Jesus, would you reign over our hearts and our spirits as as we settle into the scriptures? Would you teach us? Would you shape us? God, would you cause my words that come from my strength and my flesh to fall to the ground and be forgotten? But instead, would you cause your words that are spoken 
through your spirit, would you cause them to find fertile soil in our hearts, that they would grow up and that they would bear much fruit. And so, Jesus, would you speak? Your servants are listening. In your name, amen. Amen. So like I said, my goal this morning is to uh, kind of lay the groundwork. That's our, uh, that's our plan for today, to kind of walk through. So I want to walk through uh, four kind of uh, points, kind of a four-point direction as to where we're going to head. First, I want to look at where we begin. Where do we start a series like this? Where should we be starting a series like this? And then a- answer the question, what the Bible is and what the Bible isn't. Because bound up in a lot of the, the wrong and right ways we see the scriptures is our perception of what the Bible is. And so I want to take some time to look at what it is and what it isn't. We're going to look at how Jesus saw the Bible and then how we are to engage the Bible. So that's where we're going to go, uh, where we begin, what the Bible is and isn't, how Jesus saw the Bible, and how we engage the Bible. So the first question is, where would you start a series like this? Um, When we start to dig into the scriptures, where's the right place to begin? And there are two kind of natural places that come to mind. The first one is to start with questions. We we often have questions that we bring to the scriptures. So they may be those those large existential questions, the like, um, what's the purpose of life? And um, where, uh, where do I find meaning and hope, and uh, what's, what's God doing in the world around me, those big, big questions. Or it could be like the, the littler questions, like where'd this world come from, and who are the Nephilim, and why does God talk about them, because that's weird. And like, did really a person spend like three days in a fish, because how do they digest the digestive acids, like how does that work on skin, like those kinds of questions, right? You, so you may have big questions, you may have small questions, and, and all of those questions the Nephilim are a little confusing, but all the rest of the questions, are that, that's, that's answered in there. It's, it's, it's not that the Bible doesn't have answers to our questions. The Bible absolutely has answers to our questions. They're just not packaged in that kind of neat Q&A kind of way. And so while it's valid for us to bring our questions to the scriptures, when we do that, we tend to stand outside of the scriptures and, uh, and judge it, judge the scriptures from the outside. And and so I would argue that coming purely with questions is not the best posture with with which to approach the scriptures. A second posture uh, that often makes sense is not just coming with questions, but asking the Bible what the Bible says about the Bible. So coming to the scriptures and saying, what, what do the scriptures say about the scriptures? And that's, uh, that's a really valid way to study. In fact, we're going to do quite a bit of that over the next several weeks. But, but here's the challenge. There's kind of this, uh, this, this cycle that becomes a, a problem when you approach the Bible that way. And that's that some of you are coming and your big question is not how do I study the Bible, but your big question is, I'm not sure I believe the Bible. Like, I'm not sure that I can really trust this book. And so if the only way that I'm asking you to trust this book is by telling you what the book says about the book, right, it, it, it kind of trips you up at somewhere along the way. So you're saying, okay, I, I hear you, but I didn't believe that to start with, so I'm not sure that it really helps because I'm not really sure what that means. And so, again, while there's validity to that, it's not usually the best way for us to approach it. So the question is, if we're not going to just approach the Bible with questions— and we're not going to approach the Bible simply by saying, what's the Bible say about the Bible? Where do we start? And I would argue that we start with the centerpiece of the scriptures itself, themselves. Um, the, the guys at the Bible Project have termed the Bible a unified story that leads to Jesus. 
I think that's a great way to look at the scriptures, a unified story that leads to Jesus. We begin studying the scriptures by the point of the scriptures, which is Jesus himself. We come back to our understanding of who, what the Bible is based on who Jesus is and how he saw the Bible. So there's a great little book by a guy named Andrew Wilson. It's about 80 pages long. It's really, really easy to read. It's one of the best things out there on the scriptures. It's called Unbreakable, and he just has these short chapters that have different meditations on the scriptures. Here's what Wilson says about uh, approaching the Bible that way. He says, ultimately, you see, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ, the man who is God, the king of the world, the crucified, risen, and exalted rescuer, I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him. I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too, even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular. Now that's vitally important for us to get because what Wilson is saying is we don't stand outside of the Bible to make sure that the Bible can give us what we want, but we come to the Bible through the person of Jesus and recognize if Jesus sees the Bible as authoritative, then I come to the Bible that way. I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus who trusted the Bible, and I approach the scriptures through that lens. And so our starting point and the place that we're going to kind of begin from and then unpack over the next six weeks is the person of Jesus himself. So the question is, how did Jesus see the Bible? What what is the Bible and what isn't the Bible? Well, the first thing that's important to note is that Jesus did not see the Bible as one volume bound together like this to be carried around or to leave in your back seat or in your glove compartment or gather dust on your nightstand. Like that was not Jesus' version of the Bible. Jesus clearly understood that the Bible was not a unified volume like we would see it as, but rather a bunch of scrolls. Like Jesus would have seen the scriptures as a couple scrolls of Isaiah and a few more scrolls of Jeremiah and a scroll of Ruth and a scroll of Ezra. So there were all of these different scriptures that Jesus would have seen, but he understood visually that they were distinct. They were all distinct books with distinct authors. So um, if we take that Bible project definition, a unified story that leads to Jesus, uh, let's add to it what I think would be really helpful, uh, which is that the Bible is a a variety of different forms of literature. Why don't you throw that definition up there? Uh, The Bible is a library of literature that forms a unified story which points to Jesus. The Bible is a library of literature that forms a unified story which points to Jesus. Why is that important? Well, when we approach a book, we approach a book as though it has a singular author and is written in a singular genre. But this is 66 books written by uh, dozens of authors over more than a thousand year period, written in a variety of different genres. So one of the hot questions for theologians of our time is, do we take the Bible literally? And I would, I would simply answer the question by saying that's the wrong question. I, I would argue we need to take the Bible literarily. Now, now, here's what I mean by that. I'm not saying the Bible's not true. In fact, I would argue the Bible is the most true of any literature ever written. But it's true in the same way that beautiful poetry is true, in the same way that stories capture the truth of what's happening in the world around us. 
In the same way that a letter from a loved one to another person who is uh, deeply valued by them is, is true. Like, it's true within the genre in which it's written. And when we see the Bible as this book, we often fail to interpret it according to the genre that it's written in. One of the things that you'll hear me say a lot as we interpret the scriptures is the Bible can't mean what it never meant to mean. It was a very simple definition written by Gordon Fee years ago as he was writing on Bible study. The Bible can't mean what it never meant to mean. And basically what that means is I need to be looking at the, who the author is, the intent of the author, and the audience that that author is writing to in the genre that is being written so that I would understand the, the fullness of the scriptures. So Jesus would say the Bible isn't one book. The Bible is a library of literature that all together points to, with a unified message, points to Jesus himself. So the Bible isn't just a single book. The Bible also isn't a reference book. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. Um, if you have reference books in your house, it's unlikely that you ever, I know it's the world of the internet now, so you don't actually need reference books anymore, but bear with me for a minute. Um, imagine if you had a dictionary sitting on the shelf, you probably, unless you're really sick and twisted, don't like sit and read that for fun, right? Like, oh, I left off at G, let me just continue on, right? Like, you're, that's not the way that you read. You don't, no, nobody uses a reference book like that. You have a reference book so that you can come to that reference book with a question and you can find the answer to the question. So I, there, there's a word, I don't know how to spell it, I don't know what it means, I don't know what its origin is, so I go to the dictionary, I look it up, I find the answer, and the better I get at using the reference book, the more quickly and completely can I find the answer to the question I have. And so most of us, when we think of a Bible scholar, we think of someone who is very capable of using the Bible as a reference book to be able to answer any question that you might be able to throw at them very quickly because they understand the way the scriptures are set up and they can go and find the answer to that question. But I would argue Jesus did not see the Bible as a reference book. In fact, Jesus was so formed and shaped by the story of scripture that when pressed upon in the most difficult parts of his life during his temptations at the end of 40 days of fasting being tempted by the devil, hanging on the cross, being crucified and murdered for our sakes, what came out of Jesus was the scripture that formed him. You, you, don't, you don't hang on the cross and recite definitions, right? You don't, you don't go back to a reference book. But Jesus saw himself within this larger narrative, this story that formed and shaped him. So the Bible is not a single volume, but rather a collection of literature. The Bible is not a reference book. So what is the Bible? Uh, what are the scriptures? Well, that's where Peter, uh, a disciple of Jesus, gives us some insight into the way that Jesus saw the scriptures by the way that Peter saw the scriptures. So if you're still in 2 Peter chapter 1, let me just read for you. There's a lot in here that we're not going to get to today. But I want to read for you starting in verse 19. Uh, Peter says this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So let me just uh, take, take a step back to see what Peter's saying here. Peter says that the scriptures given to us, this prophetic word that's been given to us by God through people, we'll talk about that more in a minute, is like a lamp shining in a dark place. 
what's the Bible? What are the scriptures? The scriptures bring to us light in the middle of darkness. They illuminate what's going on in the midst of a broken world. They illuminate the darkness in the world around us. So I would argue that as we immerse ourselves in the scriptures, you should be able to take the Bible, your knowledge of the scriptures, the story that you've immersed yourself in, and you can listen to a sermon on Sunday morning and a newscast on Tuesday afternoon with the same frame of reference. The, the, the scriptures are to be a light, a lamp in a dark place, which means that we are taking the truth of the word of God, the person of Jesus himself, the light of the scriptures, and we're illuminating the darkness of the world around us with that story. We're understanding all that's happening around us in the midst of that story. John, another disciple of Jesus, uh, made the statement at the beginning of his letter that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so when, the, when Peter talks about the scriptures as a lamp in the darkness, what he's saying is the, the light of God is coming into the darkness of the world and one of the key ways that that happens is through the scriptures themselves. So the scriptures are a lamp in a dark world. But l- let's keep reading. This is verse 20. Peter says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what is the Scripture? What are the Scriptures? The Scriptures are a collection of works written by people, inspired by the Spirit, Both of those things are vitally true. So we do not believe that the scriptures have come to us because people fell into a trance and God spoke down the word that was just simply transcribed on the page. Nor do we believe that people in their own strength with a bit of illumination by the spirit wrote some stuff down that's partially right and partially wrong. We believe, as Peter said, that men writing were carried along by the spirit. That all of the authors of Scripture together were inspired by God to write these truths in a way that was unified, in a way that brought together all of these truths in one place. And so we believe that the Bible is a lamp into dark places, and we also believe that the the Bible is a, a collection of literature written by people inspired by the Spirit. And so if that's the case, how does Jesus then engage the Scriptures? How does Jesus learn to live into the scriptures? And that'll take us to Matthew chapter 5. So let me ask you to turn there, back to Matthew chapter 5. If your finger's there, you're better than me. I have to flip. There we go. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking what's uh, called by theologians the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Some uh, theologians believe these were a collection of teachings that Matthew put all together in one place. I would say that um, rather this is actually a sermon that Jesus taught, although I think he also taught portions of it in all kinds of different places, but there's a progression to what Jesus is saying as it builds together that I think is is pretty compelling. But Jesus speaks about the word— Uh, and the way that he viewed the word uh, in in the midst of this. So let me read for you just verse 17 in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Now, that would have been really interesting to the people who were sitting around listening to what Jesus was saying, because he didn't pair the words together the way that it would have been expected. When he said, I didn't come to abolish them, I didn't come to get rid of them, to release them, to have them be broken, the expectation would be that he would say, I didn't come to abolish them, but to keep them or to obey them which the religious conservatives would have been really excited about, right? Like, follow the law. That's exactly what they're for. Like, the Pharisees, uh, if you know anything about the Pharisees, they were were intent on everyone following every single piece of the law. And so they would have wanted Jesus to say that he's going to follow the law. But that's not what he said. He said, "I, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Um, if you are somebody who writes in your Bible, and that's your Bible that you're holding, I would jot right beside verse 17, Romans 10, 4. Let me just read for you uh, what Paul says in Romans 10, verse 4. He says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, that word end is the word telos in Greek, and it, it doesn't just mean end or final. It also means uh, completion. It can be translated uh, mature or ideal, kind of the, the perfection of the law. So what Paul says is, for Christ is the, the complete perfection, the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So in context, what Paul's saying is, you, you can try to keep the law, and you should. It's better to keep the law than break the law. It, it, God has laid out a pathway for you. Walk in that pathway. That's good. But don't expect that you are going to perfectly fulfill it, because you won't. But Christ is the perfect fulfillment of the law, the end of the law, as righteousness for those who believe. So what Jesus was saying and what Paul is affirming is that Jesus comes and keeps the law on our behalf, fulfills the law, so the law is now fulfilled by Christ instead of needing to be kept or to be released, which made him very unpopular with people on both the religious right and the religious left, or what we would call uh, the conservative uh, religious people of the day, the Pharisees, or the more uh, theological liberal people of the day, which would be more like the Sadducees. So let me just unpack that for you really quickly. Um, Flip to John chapter 5. We're going to look at this passage in more depth next week. I just want to show you Uh, Two verses here really briefly, just to make one brief application. So Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, those who keep the law with with great intent and detail and specificity. And and he says this to them in verse uh, 39. Let me get there. In verse 39, Jesus says this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet... You refuse to come to me that you may have life. So what Jesus says to the religious conservatives of his day is, you're, you're doing great at keeping the law. Like, you're studying the law in detail. you figured out all the stuff that you need to do. That's great. You've kept the law, but you failed to see what the law was trying to show you, which is me. Like, you've missed the whole point. Like, you've done all the work, but you've missed the whole point of the law. So you've read it at such a level of detail that you've missed the picture that's trying to be painted. And he would say that again and again and again to the Pharisees, that you're, you're missing the heart of what it is that you're trying to do by, uh, by grasping so tightly to the details of the law. 
And so they were constantly being offended because Jesus was pushing back on the way that they were engaging it. But it wasn't just that Jesus offended the religious conservatives of the day. He also always, constantly, offended the religious liberals of the day. So turn to Mark chapter 11, sorry, Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, um, Jesus is talking to this group called the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees you're probably not as familiar with as the Pharisees. Um, The Pharisees were kind of like the normal punching bag for Jesus. He was constantly interacting with them. Um, But the Sadducees were more kind of theologically liberal. They were, um, they were not big on miracles. Uh, they were not big on parts of the Bible that they were kind of really loose with. They wanted to let go of those. And they wanted to see the, the theocracy of Israel partner with Rome so that they could gain the blessing of Rome kind of fused together with the, the, the good things that God was doing in Israel. So they, their, their hope was not just in God. It was in God and Rome together. And so Jesus is interacting with them, and when he interacts with them, it's often around the way that they engage the Scripture. So let me just read for you, starting in verse 18. The Sadducees came to Jesus, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, we're going to pause there because I don't have time to teach that law. It's this really, it feels really strange to our ears, but it's actually this beautiful picture of uh, what I would call like Israel's version of a, a welfare solution. So basically, uh, people who, a, a, a widow who would have been uh, left exploited and at high risk is cared for by the family when her husband dies, and, uh, and she's able to be cared for by that person. So it's actually this beautiful picture that the Sadducees are then referencing, and they're about to give this incredible hypothetical situation. So now try to follow along. Uh, Verse 20. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise, and at that point, some of the brothers should be getting nervous, I would think. I mean, this is... This is kind of sketchy, right? Like, I'm not sure about this lady. Anyway, um, the seven all died and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. So the question is this. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Now, remember, the Sadducees don't even believe in the resurrection. So it's not like they're coming to Jesus, submitting themselves to Jesus' teaching, and saying, like, teacher, show us what the the law is saying. They don't even believe in this stuff. They're saying, let let us give you the hypothetical that is going to trip you up so you can see and we can then prove that the law is not true, that the scriptures are not true. Listen to Jesus' response. Is this not the reason that you're wrong? Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but like, they're like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Is he not the God of, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So a couple things Jesus did. First of all, he doesn't just answer their question. He answers the motivation behind the question, right? Like, let me speak to the idea that you don't believe in the resurrection while I answer your hypothetical situation about the crazy family and the resurrections. So let me speak to that. But he, he starts by saying, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. What he said is, you have 
released the scriptures so much that you've lost all of the power that goes with them. Like you, you're in, in your way of looking at the scriptures, in your way of kind of moving away from the scriptures, you have released the power of God. So it's fascinating. Jesus critiques the religious conservatives and the theological liberals equally. And so the question is then, does Jesus just invite us to read the Bible in some kind of like third way, like some other, other way of, of approaching the scriptures? And, and the answer is kind of, yes, but that's still not the point. So when we're talking about um, a conservative reading of the scriptures versus a liberal reading of the scriptures, we're still talking about techniques as to how we approach the scriptures. How does Jesus call us to approach the scriptures? Well, I would argue that he's not calling us to approach the scriptures to gain information, but rather to be formed. That the right reading of scriptures, the way that we engage the scriptures, is not to get more information, but to be formed by the power of the scriptures in our character and in our person. Jesus was shaped by the scriptures. And if we are going to come to the scriptures on the basis of Jesus, as those who have been called to follow him, and at some point in time, wherever we stand on this book, at some point in time, we've looked to Jesus and said the, the beauty of his life, the compelling nature of his life, the, the teachings that he had, whatever it is, have compelled me to seek to follow after him. On that basis alone, we're saying Jesus loved the scriptures, Therefore, if I'm going to live as Jesus lived, I'm going to embrace the scriptures. And as I embrace the scriptures, I'm going to do it the way that Jesus did. And Jesus was formed by the scriptures. So I would make the argument that in Philippians chapter 2, when Paul talks about Jesus coming incarnate, he makes the statement that he set aside his rights as God. Now, people who love Jesus can disagree on exactly what that means, but I would make the argument that when Jesus was born... He had the exact same knowledge of the scriptures that you and I have when we were born. That he didn't have uh, the, the past memory of the eternity of the word of God that he could just call upon. That he, he grew in wisdom and stature with God and man, is what the gospels tell us, just like we do. Which means Jesus engaged the Bible of his day reading the scriptures and understanding the scriptures and being formed by the scriptures in the very same way that we're invited to engage the scriptures. The question is, do we trust the Bible the way that we trust Jesus? Will we submit ourselves to the scriptures so that we can be shaped by them? So a guy named uh, Dr. Robert Mulholland, he is a, an excellent writer on spiritual formation. His book, Invitation to a Journey, is one of the best things out there on spiritual formation. Really, really excellent. He has a parallel book called Shaped by the Word that talks about the scriptures. Listen to the way that he talks about this idea. He says, the very thought of being conformed, which clearly implies that we are to be grasped, controlled, and shaped by someone other than ourselves confronts our deeply ingrained sense of being. Graspers powerfully resist being grasped by God. Manipulators strongly resist being shaped by God. Controllers are inherently incapable of yielding control to God. Spiritual formation is the great reversal. 
from being the subject who controls all other things to being a person who is shaped by the presence, purpose, and power of God in all things. This is vitally important for us to get. If we are to be approaching the scriptures, we need to get this question from Mulholland in our head. When we come to spiritual formation, are we willing to come as those who are being shaped, or do we come as the shapers, the graspers in his language? Because graspers powerfully resist being grasped. When, when, when we have this sense of sovereignty and control, which, by the way, you, you have, whether you know it or not, because you're growing up in the most individual, individualistic society in the history of the world. Like, we are incredibly individualistic in the way that we see the world around us. And, and that sense of personal sovereignty is, like, inherent to our very nature. Like, that idea of submitting ourselves to someone or something else other than us is so terrifying to us. And, and yet, I, I want to take you to one final passage. So turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Some of you who know the Bible really well were like, I wonder how long it's going to take to get to 2 Timothy chapter 3 in this, well, it took till the end of the first sermon. There you go. If you're keeping score, there you have it. Um, th- this is one of the most famous declarations about the scriptures. Uh, Paul, the apostle, near the end of his life, is writing to Timothy, his protege, who's also a pastor uh, in a church, a young pastor who's kind of growing up into ministry. And he's giving him all kinds of different words of uh, advice and admonition and challenge and, and a bunch of different things. But, but I want you to hear what he says about the scriptures. Now, let me read it, and then we'll comment on it. Verse 16, he says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Okay, there's a ton in here. Let me start by saying this. Paul says... All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, Peter said, all scripture is written by men carried along by the Spirit. So what is it that's happening here? So let me give you an image that may help you. Uh, If if you've ever seen a wind ensemble, so if you've ever gone to like a middle school band concert, I didn't mean to give you PTSD for some of you, I'm sorry. (laughs) But if you've ever been to a middle school band concert, you're going to see a bunch of different instruments. And and what, what you'll notice right away is there's a dramatic difference between the trumpet and the oboe, particularly played by a middle schooler, right? Like, they're, they're really, really different. And yet, they both follow the same principle, which is air being forced through them makes noise. I was going to say music, but that's probably, if we go beyond middle school, maybe, yeah. Anyway, air forced through makes something, makes some kind of sound, right? Um, and, and the trumpet sound is dramatically different than the oboe sound, and yet they're they're both being powered by wind. What what Peter says is there's oboes and there's trumpets and there's trombones and there's clarinets, and they're all carried along by the breath of the Spirit. So imagine the scripture as this elaborate wind ensemble with the, the wind, literally the word spirit in Greek means wind, the, the wind of God being blown into them, all making different sounds. So Paul says to Timothy, all scriptures breathed out by God. So it's written by a bunch of different people in a bunch of different genres, but it's all breathed out by God. 
And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. When we come to the scriptures, above the scriptures, to critique them, asking questions, challenging, judging as to whether they are or are not appropriate for us to pay attention to, we are not in a position where we can be taught or corrected or rebuked or trained in righteousness. The only time that those things can happen is when we submit ourselves to someone or something other than us. We must be in submission to the scriptures if the scriptures are going to teach us, if they're going to correct us, if they're going to rebuke us. And so what Paul's saying is, Timothy, don't come as a scientist seeking to make a systematic list of the doctrines of the scriptures. Rather, submit yourself to the scriptures. It's breathed out by God itself. It's authoritative for for you to receive the, the truth of the scriptures as shaping to you, to teach you, to correct you, to rebuke you. So sit underneath it. That's vitally important for us because, A, that's what Jesus did. Jesus was submitted to the truth of the scriptures, and he was shaped and formed by the truth of the scriptures, which is why he did a lot of things that he didn't, didn't want to do in his flesh. Like, who in their flesh says, yes, lead me away to crucify me? Who in their flesh says, I'm not going to eat for 40 days? I barely go 40 minutes. Like, are we, like let's be serious. Like, come on. This is, this is tough stuff. And yet Jesus is submitted and shaped to the, 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 the narrative of the scriptures. And so in that same way, Jesus is doing that. We, as we step under the submission, of the, uh, submission to the scriptures, now all of a sudden that stuff that we don't like and don't get and can't quite figure out, it, it doesn't have to be a stumbling block. And by the way, that doesn't mean it's easy to understand. Like, as we read through the conquest of Canaan, for instance, like, that's some awful stuff. Like, I can't explain all of that stuff. Like, you know, there, there's a psalm in the Bible intended for worship where the psalmist says, God, would you take babies and crash their skulls on rocks? How's that make you feel? Doesn't make me feel real good. Like, I'm not real up for that, right? Like, these are difficult things. God has things to say about our sexuality and gender and the way that we approach the world around us that are tough for us to get our heads around. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we get to stand back and critique it from the outside, but rather we submit ourselves, Paul says, Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed, and so be taught by it, be corrected by it, be rebuked by it, be trained up in righteousness by it. Submit yourself under it. Don't just stand to the outside and come up with reasons why that possibly can't be true, but rather, even in the mystery, submit yourself to it. That doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean all the answers get neatly put together. I still don't understand what the Nephilim are. I'm still really confused. I've studied it a lot. It's really odd. But that's okay. Like, it doesn't mean the scriptures get discounted. It means that I'm still in the process of being taught and corrected and rebuked and trained in righteousness. For what purpose? The last thing that he says, equipped for every good work. Here's what I want you to hear. We don't come to the scriptures so that we can win at Bible trivia. We don't come to the scriptures so that we can answer people's questions about the scriptures, or even so that we can answer our own questions about the scriptures. We don't come to the scriptures so that we can be equipped for every good question. We're equipped for the work of God. 
Scriptures form us so that we would live differently. Let me, let me say that a different way. Um, there's probably a bunch of people that you know, that you can think of in your head, who know the Scriptures really well and don't look at all like Jesus. It's very dangerous as a place for us to be. And so as we engage the Scriptures, we need to be people who are not just saying, I'm going to know more about God. I'm going to study and get it. But we need to be people who are saying, like Paul to Timothy, I want to be equipped for every good work. I want my life to more and more look like Jesus. And so over the course of the next five weeks, that's what we're going to try to dive into. We're going to look at the way the scriptures form and shape us into the image of Christ. We're going to do that through ways that we read and ways that we engage and ways that we listen and ways that we approach the Bible. So for this week, really, really simple practice. Um, You have a communal practice in front of you of simply having a really honest discussion about the scriptures. Pretty easy. Like, just talk about, honestly, what the scriptures are like. Are they hard for you to read, easy for you to read, confusing? Do you read them a lot or not very much? Why? Do, do you value them at the level that God values them? And, and where does, where's that line? What's that look like? Those kinds of questions. You're going to have questions before you, and there's just going to be an honest discussion. And, and I want you to start by just being honest about where you are. And then we're going to have an individual practice, get this, of actually reading the Bible. How about that? I have a high level of creativity going on right now. Right? When we engage the scriptures, we're going to actually read. Now let me just say this. You're going to hear me say this a lot. It's a bunch in the practice guide as well. We need to start from where we are, not from where we wish we were or think we should be. So there's some of you who know in your head, I should be reading the Bible every day. And you've convinced yourself that you should be reading the Bible every day, so therefore you probably are reading the Bible every day, or at least most days or most of the time you're reading the Bible, when in reality this is what you get. This is the Bible that you get. And if that's where you are, look, no no guilt, move from where you are to where you need to go. Take the next step. Not from where you wish you were, like I should be reading the Bible every day. Yeah, I, I agree. You should be reading the Bible every day. But the reality is most of us are not. So let's start from where we are. And step into, if, you, if this is all the Bible that you get each week, three days of five minutes each is a step ahead of where you are right now. That's totally fine. But let me encourage you, read the actual Bible. Not other people writing stuff about the Bible. Not all kinds of devotional thoughts. Not, nothing wrong with those things. They can be really helpful. But when we rely on other people's interpretations of the scriptures, we miss the heart of God himself speaking to us in the scriptures. So come to the word of God in a translation that you're comfortable with, in a way that you're comfortable. In the practice guide, there's real simple steps to like, how do I start to step into that? I want to encourage you to step into it. And then over the next five or six weeks, I want us to walk through engaging the scriptures, sitting under and submitting ourselves to the scriptures, being formed by them as Jesus was. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and they're going to uh, lead us in a brief response. But as they do, I'm just going to ask you to um, just settle your hearts, and I'm just going to guide you through a real brief uh, kind of meditative thought as we go from here, as we seek to kind of come under the authority of the Scriptures. So if it's easier for you to close your eyes or uh, kind of take a deep breath and put yourself in the presence of God, whatever that looks like for you, would you just um, intentionally put yourself in a place where you can hear from Him?
Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. We are all in different places, but for many, not all, but for many of us, our, our deep desire is to be more like you, to, to spend time with you, to be changed into your image, to do the things that you've done in the world around us. And so God, would you meet us in the midst of that desire, or maybe that desire for that to be the desire? And would you meet us with this foundational discipline of being in the Bible, reading the scriptures, and hearing from you, not so that we can stand as a judge or an expert on the outside of it, not so that we can know more information, not so that we can answer questions, but so that we can be shaped. And so, Jesus, would you come and shape us? I just want to ask you to imagine coming into the presence of God. Whatever image that brings up for you, maybe there's light, maybe there's a, a throne room, whatever that is, imagine coming into the presence of God. And as you recognize that God's before you, there's probably a bunch of reactions that are in your heart. For some, there's, a, there's an excitement and a joy, like a run to and embrace. For some, there's an awe, maybe, of, of bowing or uh, covering our heads. For others, maybe there's an, uh, an overwhelming curiosity of, of wanting to know and wanting to, to uh, have uh, answers to questions that we've just struggled with, that we've, we've wanted to know. Maybe there's just a sense of, 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 of desiring the peace of God that comes from his presence. Where, wherever that is for you, imagine yourself being face-to-face -face with the presence of Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews tells us that the way has been made for us into the very throne room. So imagine yourself there. And now I want you to imagine in your mind's eye being handed your Bible, whether it's the beat-up, been through it a thousand times, highlighted and torn up pages, or whether it's the brand new one you just pulled out of the pew. Your Bible. Imagine being handed your Bible and hearing simply take and read. Absorb this. Receive this. As the way that you can gain that intimacy you long for is the way that you can worship and recognize the holiness, the greatness of God is the way that you can receive the, um, the, the peace that you long for is the way that you can start to answer some of the more difficult questions of the world around you. Take and read so that you would receive. Not, not, not immediately. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a journey. But you, you receive it so that we would be shaped by it. So God, as we receive, may we not be satisfied with information, but with formation. Would you shape us by your word for your glory? So do this, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray.